The scripture reading will be Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his are of his own, eager, and to do what is good. This is God, God's word. We'd invite you to open your Bibles up to the passage that James just read in Titus chapter 2. Inside of the announcement sheet, you're going to find an outline that you can use as we go through this study in the coming weeks. As we consider what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus, and with all of the things that are said in our religious culture and the religious landscape of America, I think it's pretty important for us to, to have a biblical understanding of what the Bible is saying about the reality of the second coming of Jesus. And while you're doing that, um, uh, before we pray, this is just a reminder for, for many of us and for, for some of you maybe the first time you're hearing it, uh, this is Patrick and Courtney Barrett's last Sunday with us. They're going to be moving this week to the East Coast, to Georgia, uh, with brand new baby. And uh, they've just been such a, a great part, not merely of, of just our, our young couples class and, and uh, uh, you know, that, that, that group and the, the way they've been so active uh, over the years in our church family, but they've really just been an integral part of our church family. And uh, we're really going to miss you guys. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a sad day for us. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that the blessing you were to us, you're going to be to a church there in Georgia. And uh, we want to stay in touch. Make sure that you send the information when you land there uh, so we can, uh, we can stay in contact. And God bless you. And we're going to pray not only for the, uh, uh, the Barretts, but we're also going to, to pray for God to be with us as we study uh, Titus chapter 2 this morning. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a way that we look back on this week and, and we see all, all of the tragedy that, that has taken place not just around the world but, but even more specifically closer to home and the surprising nature of, of evil as it rears its head in the most unlikely of places. And, and we, th we think also at the same time, Father, of, of all of the great things that, that have happened and the blessings that, that have fallen upon people in unexpected ways. And while we think that this last week may have been exceptional, when we step back a bit, we realize that it, it was very typical. That there, are, there is in this life uh, many, many evil things that cross our paths and intersect our lives in, in a way that we're impacted and sometimes we come out on the other side, not the same. And at the same time, there are beautiful things and wonderful things that have, have been poured out of your cup of blessing upon us, Father, that helps us to retain that hope and, and that vision, that clear vision of what your kingdom is supposed to be and the importance of it being all that it can be not just in our own life, Father, but in this community around us. And we feel ever so more keenly 
the, the, the spear tip of, of the mission that you have brought us into with our salvation. And, and we pray, Father, that we are faithful to it and that we have poured our energies and our, our best talents, our best resources into it until the day we see your Son face to face. And we pray that you speed that day forward, Father, to us. We pray that you bless the Barretts and, and others in our church family with all of the needs that, that we have in terms of travel and of, of resources and health. Father, bless us and bless us in this study with eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray it in the name of the most beautiful and wonderful Savior, Jesus. His name, amen. I want to start with a story about this little boy who decided that it was about time for him to have a wristwatch. And so he is asking everyone he knows to give him a wristwatch for Christmas that year. He asked his mom every day at breakfast, at lunch, at the dinner table, he needs a wristwatch. Can I get a wristwatch? Can, can you give me a wristwatch for Christmas? And when his aunt and uncles would come over, whenever they would visit, he'd say, I need a wristwatch, I need a wristwatch. His grandparents, whenever they showed up, can I have a wristwatch, can I have a wristwatch? And this kid was wearing everybody out. And you know how that can be. You know, the just continual hints and asking and the badgering and the nagging, can I have, can I have, can I have, can I have? And finally the parents had to do something about it. And they told him in no uncertain terms to stop asking for a wristwatch. He's aggravating everybody in the family. And quite frankly, they're sick of it. And so Christmas Eve rolls around and all of the family gathers as they always did at this house and they have a devotional as a family and they go around in a big circle in the living room and they share their favorite verse from the Bible. And when they came to this little boy, it, he says, my favorite scripture is Mark chapter 13, verse 37 which is up here on the screen. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch! <laughs> For the next couple of weeks, we're going to consider what the Bible has to say about a great event in the history of the world, the second coming of Jesus. And one of the teachings about the second coming every disciple of Jesus should understand is that we are to what, church? Watch! When Jesus speaks of the second coming, He tells His disciples, Matthew 25, verse 13, Keep what? Watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now the big question is, how do you watch for it? How do you watch for it? Well, what is prevalent really in our religious culture is to seek the signs of the times. That there are things that are happening in the world, happening in history, that we read about, that we hear about, that we see on the internet, and all of that is pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming like right now. And the unfortunate thing, and I'm going to humbly say this, the unfortunate thing is that I do not believe in, in the slightest that that is a biblical teaching of the Bible since the Bible teaches we will not know when it comes. Jesus Himself says what? You will not know. Keep watch. You will not know the day or hour. In another place, he says it will be like a thief in the night, meaning unexpectedly. Peter will say the same thing in Second Peter chapter 3. He says to the church, but the day of the Lord will come like a what? Underline that word in your Bible. It will come like a thief. But not knowing precisely when that day will come does not mean that you can't be ready. 
doesn't mean that you can't be prepared. And one of the ways that you watch, one of the days that, that you prepare, and one of the days that you get ready for that day is to ponder it or to contemplate it, which is what we do every week in this room. The first coming of Jesus, according to Scripture, is linked to the, the, the second coming of Jesus is linked to the, the, uh, the first coming of Jesus. And we, in the Lord's Supper, every week proclaim His coming. Something special happens every time we partake of the bread and every time we partake of the fruit of the vine which represent the body and the blood of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, whenever you eat this bread, drink this, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until what? He comes. You see, there is a link between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. And the main thing that I want you to get this morning is that your response to Him at His first coming determines His response to you at His second coming. Now I want us to read again from uh, the text that James read for us just a few minutes ago, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And I want you to underline in your Bibles the two times that you find this Greek word epiphany or appearing in English in this text. It begins, verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has what, church? Appeared, underline that, to all men. Reference to first coming. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious what? Appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Now within this, this text, we find two appearings. And that's what we want to do this morning as we kind of uh, break out into this study of the second coming of Jesus. What, we, what we're told in Titus chapter 2 is that Jesus' first appearing was in grace. Jesus' first appearing is in grace. Jesus' first coming into the world was a search and rescue mission. The world is not the way that it was created to be. Human beings, you and I, were not the way that we were created to be, at least originally. And everything, including us, rushing headlong into destruction. Everything, including us, rushing headlong into death. Everything dies. Everything dies. Everything breaks down. Everything ages... And the solution, when we look around us, has got to be more profound than good advice. Do these ten things, do these twelve things, and you'll find whatever it is that you're looking for in terms of life. The solution is that we need to be saved. When people are drowning in the ocean, I mean, imagine you know, the, 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 the ship has gone down, the life rafts are sinking, you are out there, the when people are drowning in the ocean, it does not help to advise them that dog paddling is better than breaststroking. What they need out there in the middle of that water is they're going down and those arms are feeling heavy and the body is beginning to sink and the fear of going under and not being able to breathe is coming up over them. What they need is to be saved. Somebody to yank them out of the danger. Somebody that's going to pull them out of the peril. And that is what the first coming of Jesus was all about. God became one of us. He became just like us. He, he hungered like us. He bled like us. He, was, he got tired and sleepy like us. 
Jesus did not glow at birth. Let me repeat, Jesus did not look like a light bulb. Next slide. There we go. <laughs> Had Jesus been born at a place like the Bethlehem Hospital, you would not have been able to pick Him out. He would have looked like every other baby. But Philippians chapter 2 says, Jesus emptied Himself of His glory, of all of the things that made Him God, the attributes that, that made Him deity. He emptied them, Himself of that glory in order to become a man... And not just a man, but a man who in perfect love would die for our sins. You know, there's, a, there's an old, old story about a missionary on a Pacific island who received from one of the natives of that island a very special gift of a shell. And the missionary knew that the gift involved a lot of effort as that shell could only be found on the other side of the island which involved a day's journey to the other side of the island, uh, a day of, of trying to get the shell, and then a day of bringing it back. And the missionary knew all of that. And he turned to the fellow and he said, I, you know, thank you so much. And he said that he knew that the journey to get the shell was a long one. And the giver of the gift, the native, replied that the journey was part of the gift. You, you see, when we think about the incarnation, one of the things that we're told is that God's power, Jesus' power was so great that He could become like us that Jesus' power was so wondrously great that He could become flesh and live among us. But at the same time, what we are told is that His love was so great that He would come and become one of us. You know, when you think about it, God is living in perfect harmony in, within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. God could have lived without us. And because God is holy, God had every right to kick us to the curb because of what we had made, not only of ourselves made in His image, but what we had made of creation that was good, was the exact rep uh, uh, representation of what he had, he had thought in His mind when He spoke that word and creation came into being. God could have lived without us, but He chose not to. He didn't want to, and so He became like us so that we could become like Him. And it was the grace of God that appeared for all men according to Titus 2. It was God becoming a man Himself in order to redeem us by dying on the cross. And our sins became His sins. And He suffered what it is that we are supposed to suffer. He lived the life that we should have lived. And He died the death that we should have died. And after dying on the cross and the atonement for sins and redemption being made and being resurrected, resurrected to life, Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, ascends into heaven. And beginning in verse 9, after giving the, uh, the apostles some instructions, Luke says, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Who do you think these guys are? Who are the two men dressed in white? Probably angels, right? And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will what? Three words. Come back 
will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. You see, the first coming was about you being saved. The first was about dealing with the fact that you are drowning in your own sin and that there is no good solution, no good advice outside of somebody substituting themselves for your death sentence. And that's what God did in love. Because God is holy and because God is righteous, He can only do the thing that is holy and righteous, which is in love, make it whole. Make it right. Redeem. Make sure that atonement is sufficient and, and done in such a way that what has been destroyed can be put back together again. And so when Jesus came the first time, it was coming in grace. It was coming to save us. It was coming to do what we could not do for ourselves. It was a coming in order for us to, to, to stop this, this downward spiral of sin that is so destructive in our life in order to be saved and to be brought into a relationship with God and to be changed by that Spirit that is put in us so that we begin to look more like the one that became incarnate. But He's coming back. And the second coming is going to be very different. Jesus' second appearing will be in glory. If the first coming is an historic reality then the second coming is a prophetic certainty. And prophecy is really nothing more than, in, in most cases, God seeing the future before we do. And the second coming of Christ will be Christ not coming with the glory emptied or His glory covered up, as Philippians chapter 2 talks about, but it's going to be His glory revealed. And at that time, it will not be an appearing to save. It will be an appearing in glory and to be glorified and to judge. And one of the things, one of the, one, of the, one of the most tremendous things that are going to happen in that day is the amazement of all human beings. We are going to be amazed at what we see. Literally, we're going to marvel at the glory of His presence. You know, when Jesus came the first time, when it was a coming in grace... There were men, men like Herod, men like the wise men. There were probably others that were going around saying, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? It will not be that way at the second coming. When he comes in glory, no one is going to have to ask, where is he? Why? Because we'll all see him. Here's what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 1, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. You know, what he's talking about there is there is going to come a... You know, during this period of time that we're living right now, there is, there is ample opportunity. There are a million chances every day to intersect God's grace, that forgiveness, the message of the gospel, His love, His... His providential care, as we sometimes like to talk about it in church, the fact that He takes care of us every day by making sure the sun's up and, the, and the, the trees do what the trees do and food is provided for us. There's ample opportunity for us to, 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 to respond to His presence in such a way that we're always in His presence. But what Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica is one of the most horrifying things that you will ever find in Scripture. You know, most people think that, the, that the, 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 the most frightening thing about hell, the most uh, frightening, disturbing thing about hell is, is the fire or, or the torture or the pain or you know, whatever 
you know, people, when they think of hell, what they think of. You know what Paul says? It's shut out from the presence of the Lord. The most disturbing, frightening thing about hell to me is hell is that place where there is no hope that God will ever come for you. And on that day, verse 10, He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. You know, Jesus is up on the cross and one of the sayings of the cross at the end is, it is finished. He's dying on the cross and the atonement for sin has been completed. The second time that Jesus says it is, it is finished, it will be to gather all those that He bought the first time He said it on the cross. And it will be destruction and being shut out from the presence of the Lord for those who reject Him. You know, in Revelation chapter 19, you know, one of the, the really important things about the book of Revelation to me... Uh, just outside of, of uh, the, the message of hope and the theology of it, it are the, the visions that, that, that John has of the Christ. They're magnificent. I mean, they, they seem a little bit tame maybe because of all of the technicolor and all of the special effects and the FX effects and all of that that we find in the movie theaters and so on and so forth. But when you, you, you read them and you contemplate what it is that's being said, you are just overwhelmed by the vision of the glorified Christ. And in Revelation chapter 19, John says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and His name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following Him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on His robe and on His thigh. He has the name that is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, there is a tremendous difference between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And the first time Jesus came, it was about grace. It was about atonement. It was about redemption. It was about saving humanity. It was about reversing the effects of sin in human beings because of the, the fallen state, because sin has been introduced into the world. But at the second coming, it's going to be about Him being glorified. The first time He came, He came as an infant. The second time that He comes, it's going to be as the warrior king who judges. The first time He came, there were only a few who saw Him. At the second time, everyone in every place, everywhere is going to see Him. The first time He came, He emptied Himself of glory. The second time He comes, His glory is going to fill the universe. At the first time He came, the angels announced peace and goodwill to all men. The second time He comes, it will be to judge. The first time He came, it was to offer grace to all men. The second time He comes, it's to gather the elect. 
The first time He came, it was to experience God's judgment on Himself. The second time He comes, it is to be the judge. The first time He comes, He was known as the carpenter's son. The second time He comes, it will be as King of kings and Lord of lords. The first time He came, worship was an option. The second time He comes, every knee will bow. The first time He came, He was rejected. The second time He comes, He will be universally recognized. The first time He came, He was a servant. The second time He comes, it will be as King of the universe. There is a difference, brothers and sisters, between the first time and the second time. There's a Scripture I challenge us all to memorize today. You dads and single moms, when you go home with your kiddos today, memorize Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Family assignment. Hebrew writer says, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. You know, coming on the first day of the week together as a church is not just, it's not like showing up for work, is it? Listen, we're not always going to have the greatest attitudes because we're tired and we're stressed and we're preoccupied and we're angry and we're sad or whatever it might be. We're experiencing it. And sometimes it detracts from the great attitudes that we should bring into the assembly. But intellectually, we need to know that when we come together as a church family, we're not just putting in our time. We're not just bearing with it in order to get to the restaurant and NFL afterwards. Intellectually, we need to remember that we are coming to a banquet. We are coming to a banquet to honor the person who saved our lives from the worst of all possible deaths and saved the lives of our parents and our spouse and our children. We are coming to the banquet to honor the one who sacrificed himself in love for all of them. And intellectually, we need to remember that we're coming to an, uh, to an assembly to honor our soul's hero. And our church really needs to get this straight. Worshiping and magnifying Jesus is the natural thing we do when we think about the first time He came and what He suffered and what He endured in love to bring us back to God. And worshiping and magnifying Jesus is the natural thing we do when we, when we ponder the fact that He is coming back again, like we sang, Ben, someday. Someday. You know, in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, there is this great scene of the throne room of heaven and all the creatures and all the people are praising God. And it is written that there are 24 elders with golden crowns on their heads and they're wearing these white robes and they worship Him who sits on the throne. And it's written that these 24 elders with their golden crowns fall down before the king and they cast their crowns. They have crowns, but they cast these crowns down at the feet of Him who is on the throne. And you know, in our hearts, every one of us has a throne. In our heart, there is a room where there is a throne. And a lot of times, you know, we want to sit on it. We want to be king. And because we get a little bit of money or we get a little bit of prestige, a little bit of control at work, we have kids we can boss around, whatever it might be, we sit on that throne. Or it might be that, you know, we know we're not all that great and we're, no, we're not all that wonderful. 
And so we put somebody else on that throne or we put some other thing on that throne. You know what legitimate kings in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 do when legitimate kings with golden crowns, they see him who's enthroned. You know what they do? They let him be enthroned. They don't try to usurp it. They don't try to take it away. Do you know what it's like to be a legitimate king and to take off your crown and throw it at the feet of another? You're saying, you're the sovereign. You're the majestic one. You're the one that I am willing as a king to allow rule my life. I will no longer be a king because you're the king. And in our room, in this room, this throne room, in our heart, there is a throne. And I want to ask you, church, who is enthroned in your heart on, on that throne? Who sits there? And are you willing to cast your crown at his feet? You know, there might be some here this morning who, who have never allowed Jesus to come into their life in such a way that they know him as Savior. Most people who have heard the name Jesus know a little bit about him, will think of him as a religion, will think of him as a philosophy of life, will think of him as maybe a martyr or a great teacher. But do you know him as a Savior? A Lord and Savior. During the singing of the next song, some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. If in any way we can study with you, help you, counsel you, direct you on your way in order for you to find yourself in the presence of God forever and ever and ever, beginning today, beginning today, not just in heaven, but beginning today to know without doubt a certainty that God is there and He's with you all the time then we want to make that happen. Because the flip side of being with God forever and ever is, is choosing to reject the offer in such a way that you find yourself for all of eternity in a place where there is no hope for God ever to come for you. If we can minister to you in any way as a church family, our shepherds are down here at the front, let's stand and praise God together.